You are listening to the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Football Podcast with John Pemba and Andrew Cooper. What's going on, everybody? John Pemba here with Andrew Cooper. It is the Fantasy Football Quick Out Podcast. That is right this year, Coop. Uh, we actually have a name for the podcast going into the 2022-2023 Fantasy Football season. Uh, Fantasy Alarm, of course, where we're at, bringing you this podcast. We're going to bring you everything that's happened from the NFL playoffs, basically through where we are today with free agency, Coop. It's been an absolutely wild time. We felt it was just time to get back on the pod and start recording. Yeah, man, that's the thing about the NFL offseason. For us, it really doesn't exist. I mean, this is the most exciting time of the year. Everything's changing. Everyone's flying around. So I'm ready to go. Also really feeling the quick out name because that kind of gets to what we try to do here, which is give you the information succinctly and uh, and get out of it. So quick out. Here we go. Our game by game previews. That's what we cut the fat, right? Just boom. This is what you need to know. Move on, quick outs. And now we're going to do that with what has just been an absolutely wild offseason to this point. I mean, monster names moving teams here coop Uh, but before we get into the entertaining things that people want to talk about deshaun watson trade russell wilson trade Devontae adams trade let's do a little offensive line talk for the people yeah people love that but i mean i'm telling you it's so important like we're gonna get to the fun stuff like running backs and wide receivers but you look at offensive line and some of them, that's the one of the biggest things that can change in the offseason that changes the outcome for fantasy football. And so many people do not pay attention to it that it's a huge way to get an advantage. I mean, look at the biggest example for me is Todd Gurley, right? 2016, that team wins four games. Todd Gurley has just under 280 carries. I think it was 279. He goes for 885 rushing yards. He's like RB17. The very next year, they bring in Andrew Whitworth. The team is better. They win the division. Todd Gurley has 280 carries, one more carry than the previous year. He has 1,305 rushing yards. Goes from 885 to 1,300, 400 more yards with one extra carry. Is it because he got that much better, you think, John? Or is it because the team improved, the O-line improved? Uh, I'm going to go with the offensive line is the reason that it improved there. You give a little bit more push up front. It allows space for Todd Gurley, as talented as he is, to, to make some moves. Yeah, so I'm just going to run them down real quick. We don't want to sit here and talk about offensive lines all day. We don't want to do it at all, but we want to give you the information that you can use in best balls and things like that right now before people figure it out. Because, I mean, with Gurley, they went from – he had pretty much the same yards after contact in both years. They went from dead last in yards before contact to top 10. So here are the O-line moves that I'm seeing that are interesting to me. Number one is the Steelers, right? They go out. They had a pretty bad offensive line last year. They lost a lot of guys. They had the worst offensive line last year. Mm -hmm. So far, they've signed James Daniel at guard and Mason Cole at center. They're making an effort, and they very likely could draft a tackle in the draft as well. So you take the combination of Najee Harris playing virtually every snap, which no one does, and make that offensive line better. Now you have a guy that we see going in best balls in the second, sometimes third round. Now, I mean, that guy could be this year's Todd Gurley, where he was going in the second round, and then the very next year, he was the RB1 overall, right? The next one, Cincinnati Bengals, right? I mean, John, how many times did... We see Joe Burrow get sacked. I think it was 18 times. I think it was nine, nine against the uh, the Titans, seven in the Super Bowl. And I think it was one each in the other two games. Can't have that many sacks in, in uh, that amount of time for a quarterback that's coming off of a major injury from the year before because he couldn't protect him. So I assumed uh, that, that they were going to go heavy in this draft, drafting offensive line. But it's great to see them attacking offensive line needs uh, early in free agency as well. 
Yeah. So, I mean, they have a couple pieces. Jo- I think Jonah Williams is going to be a good tackle in this league. He was a first round pick for them. They took Jackson Carmen last year who can play tackle or guard. This year they go out and get Alex Kappa and Ted Karras from our Patriots. And not only that, but they grabbed Hayden Hurst, who is a say which will about his pass catching ability. He's a rock solid blocker and they have plenty of weapons. So they don't really need a tight end that's going to light the world on fire. In the passing game, they need somebody who can block for Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon again. Right now, he's going at ADP 15 overall in underdog. I mean, I know it's a second-round pick, but I mean that means anyone can get him. You can take him in the late. You can take him in the first. You can take him in the second. Like You can get that guy. And if that line's better, I mean, we just saw him be third overall in rushing this past year. Other moves that I like, Aguars go and get Brandon Scherf. He was arguably the best overall guard on the market. So, you know, we haven't seen Travis Etienne play yet. He could be lights out, and that offense could be a lot better. With the Jets, they go get Lake and Tomlinson to go along with Mekhi Becton, Elijah Vera Tucker and George Fant used to be an extra tackle tack blocking tight end type guy. Now they're trying to decide if it's going to be Beckton or Fant at left tackle. That's how much he's improved. They also get Tyler Conklin, who's a great blocker. I mean, a guy like Makai Beckton, John, is that somebody who you want you want to run behind? Yeah, I think we you and I talked before we went on. We're familiar with seeing Trent Brown in New England and how effective he is as a run blocker, pass blocker. You run behind Trent Brown, you're gaining yards. It's just a matter of fact how given his size. Makai Becton rivals him in size. Coop, what, what did you say he was? It's like 6'7", 340 or something like that at the tackle spot. <laughs> He's actually bigger than that. He's 6'7", 363 is where he weighs in. I mean, that is an absolute tank, man. He is a He, he just is needs to monster. stay healthy. He got hurt last year as a rookie. Kind of kind of lowered, uh, kind of hurt that offensive line. But this is what you like to see from a new head coach, right? Year one, you bring in some pieces, sign some guys, get a feel for what your system's going to look like, some of the players that are already there and evaluate. But year two, now you're solidifying that offensive line to give your young quarterback some time, to maybe give your young running back some time back there. And it allows the offense to develop when you have a rock-solid line. Games are won in the trenches, both offensively and defensively a lot of times. So I like what the Jets are doing right here. I love what Robert Sala is doing right here. Exactly. And, and we're Patriots fans, but we can admit that when they're do, doing something right. And you think about Robert Sala, he had to convert that defense from a 3-4 to a 4-3. That wasn't going to happen overnight anyway. So on offense, you might as well build the team from the trenches while you are converting this defense. Now, if Zach Wilson just figures it out, it can hit all at once and you go out and you get those luxury pieces, the wide receiver. I think they could go and get another running back. I like Michael Carter, though. But, you know, that's what the third year move is. You go and get all those luxury pieces that are like short term and just take you over the top. The pass rusher, the hired gun cornerback. But, you know, so that's what we're looking for. The last one, Miami added. Connor Williams, they added some running backs, which we'll talk about. That's interesting. But, you know, this is another thing that you can get excited about in Dynasty, right? Is that you have all these running backs on your team that you like. And you look at the offensive line market, and now it's kind of like a lottery for you as a as an owner in Dynasty. Because you're holding the Dalvin Cooks and you're holding the Alvin Kamaras and guys like Teron Armstead, both Dwayne and Trent Brown, Riley Reef. These guys are all out there. And so when you, you, you keep an eye on that news, I mean, that's a big, whoever signs for an armstead, that's a big win for somebody in dynasty because their running back just got one of the best blocking tackles in the league. I mean, he, in 2018, he was the number one. I was gonna say, there's tackle. legit an all pro offensive line sitting in free agency right now. Right. Yeah. Fully, a team could go, if they had the money, they could just sign Eric Fisher, Lil Collins, Riley Reeve, and, and just have a full all pro right. offensive line. So keep an eye on that, man. That's something that 
goes it goes beyond a lot of fantasy gamers because they're, they're just thinking about their guys but to me it, the idea of a Teron Armstead coming is exciting so keep an eye on that stuff yep I agree with you so that's the offensive line talk we kept it brief we kept it quick but don't underestimate the value uh, of a good offensive line when it comes to production of players Someone like Najee Harris think about the season he had last year an absolute volume monster but he averaged less than four yards a carry could barely get things going because that offensive line was so bad they make improvements this year that off that all of a sudden that yards per carry jumps four four and a half something in that range and now he's the number one running back in fantasy football given his overall volume so it definitely makes an impact but we got to get to the big news here of the day and recording here saturday after the deshaun watson trade you had the deshaun watson reaction oracle a wild ride a roller coaster some may say with what's been going on with deshaun watson over the last year waiting for the trade partner you get down to the teams that are in the market for him we find out that the Browns are out of it, and it's going to be between the Falcons and the Saints. And then all of a sudden, Friday afternoon, I get the alert from Adam Schefter that not only the Cleveland Browns back in it, but the Cleveland Browns are the front runners to get Deshaun Watson. And I think it was pretty clear why. They guaranteed the man $230 million, and he basically had a dealer's choice given his no-trade clause of where he was going. Unlikely that the, the Falcons and Saints were offering that much guaranteed money, and that's why that deal was went the way it went. But Coop, you look at what the Browns have done this offseason. They brought in Amari Cooper, and now they make that massive splash to get Deshaun Watson. Will Watson be suspended? Probably, maybe. We can. We'll hit that bridge when we come to it. But just knowing what they have now, potentially a quarterback and even in receiver, what Amari Cooper is just an upgrade on that offense. They're able to keep Kareem Hunt. They kept Nick Chubb. They have David and Joku now. I mean, there's a lot of good things happening in that offense. Yeah, I mean, I don't think some people fully grasp this contract and the gravity of it. To put it in perspective, the contract that Aaron Rodgers just signed very recently had $150 million guaranteed. That was the most guaranteed money any player has ever gotten. Deshaun Watson just got $80 million more million than that guaranteed, 230 fully guaranteed. And they set it up so that his first year, his base salary is only a million dollars. So if he gets suspended, the amount of money he loses is his base salary. So he, if he gets suspended for the f- entire first year, he still gets 20, 229 million guaranteed. That's how you get a guy to wave a no trades clause, John. hundred percent. Like he, I, I don't want to go to Cleveland was basically what we heard. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh, never mind. They're just backing up the truck. Uh, I'm not going to turn down this money. So um, obviously that's going to impact a lot of things. In your article, you mentioned Watson's a top five quarterback during his time with Houston, whenever he was healthy and active for that team, he threw for, was it like 4,000 yards and a 70% completion percentage there in his final year uh, with Houston. So there's, there's a ton of upside there. I know he missed a whole year, but he's still very young. He has got a pedigree. He's a national champion. He took Houston to the playoffs a few times. The defense that the Browns have is legit. He's going to a team that is that was missing a quarterback, basically. Listen, I know I'm one of the biggest Baker Mayfield haters out there, but the team around him was very talented. Baker just wasn't good enough to get them over that hump. If Watson is the same quarterback as he had been, the Browns may be a legitimate favorite now for the AFC. Yeah, I mean, no question. Why wouldn't they be? I mean, Deshaun Watson was amazing with the Texans, and the Texans were pretty bad. I mean, you mentioned him having 4,800 yards passing in a 16-game season and 33 touchdowns and only seven interceptions. That team won four games. You know what I mean? That wasn't a good team. And he was just out there playing well with what he had on an island. Pro Bowl. What kind of Pro Bowl quarterback is on a four-win team? You know what I mean? But he's a Pro Bowl caliber player. So this trade is huge for him. I think it's an upgrade for everyone in the offense, as I talked about my article, except 
perhaps not Kareem Hunt. And the reason that I mention that is that there's a guy, Andrew Erickson at PFF. He's a good dude. He's actually also from Massachusetts like we are. He uh, did a big study on mobile quarterbacks to kind of confirm some suspicions that we've always had, which is that mobile quarterbacks because of the nature of the way they play the game, are hesitant to dump the ball down to running backs. We had always believed it to be the case. Obviously, Drew Brees is going to flip it to Alvin Kamara, where if you're Lamar Jackson and you're scrambling out, you're not going to flip it to the running back. You're going to tell the running back to go block somebody. It's like we had that in our mind. He proved it mathematically. And that's why all these guys, I think it's a bump up, except Kareem Hunt. It might not be the best fit for him. I mean, it could be that a rising tide lifts all the ships and everyone's better. But of all the guys there, I think obviously David Njoku might be the biggest winner of the entire offseason with Austin Hooper leaving and a brand new quarterback coming in and Jarvis Landry leaving. Uh, but, you know, so for everybody there, I like it. It's Kareem Hunt, he's still I, the guy yeah, he was. The Kareem Hunt thing is kind of interesting because obviously last year we got the reports out of camp like he was working with the receiver group and now all of a sudden Jarvis Landry is gone. They used a lot of two back road uh, formations as well where they had Chubb and Hunt out there together. So maybe we see more of Hunt as just a general receiver and not like a split back where Watson isn't looking to dump it off, maybe they actually have Hunt out there running routes. So. Yeah, if they change the offense in that fashion, then for sure he could be a winner. And he did. He, I went back and kind of looked at it, and he only ever had – he had one game where he lined up in the slot four times. Most of the other – like, he never really had more than three or four. But they could easily – use him in that fashion. I just, when I would go and do my winners and losers of a trade, I usually tie it directly to the trade, which that's more of a personnel thing. But I mean, if they do that, then Kareem Hunt's also a winner and everybody wins. And the odd, the thing about it is that it's rare you see a situation where there are this many winners, but Baker Mayfield potentially going to a new team that isn't as run heavy could be a winner for fantasy football. And Davis Mills is an immediate winner for the Texans. I mean, I know the odds were pretty slim of Watson going back to the Texans, but now those odds are zero and it's Davis Mills time. Davis Mills even tweeted, let's get to work. So I think all from that one trade, all three of those guys are probably winners. The losers of course are the guys that like the Jimmy Garoppolo's and the yeah. uh, Jameis Winston's because now there's just, I mean, you vaporize a few landing spots now yeah. because Baker's going to go somewhere. And we also, we've had some conversations, obviously people wondering, well, why wouldn't Baker be part of that trade? Who does Houston look to bring in? And, and then quickly Houston announces they're sticking with Mills and it makes sense, right? Rookie court contract, not a lot of money. He's a fourth round pick. They're resetting. They just got three offensive line. They're likely drafting a quarterback this year, next year, somebody to be their future guy. They're not going to go in and trade for Baker and tie up a bunch of money in a quarterback they don't really want. So it makes sense. Plus, Mills wasn't that bad. Mills was on a lot of teams' radar last year uh, as a potential prospect candidate. I know, again, the Patriots took Mac Jones, but if you'd read some reports, the Patriots were a team that were linked to Davis Mills there if they were not going to go quarterback in the first round. So there, there's obviously some potential talent, and I actually thought he had some decent games. So Obviously, that's the big news there with Deshaun Watson. Russell Wilson traded from Seattle to Denver, Coop. Thoughts on the impact now that Wilson will have on this Denver team that, again, starved for quarterback play over these last handful of seasons. Yeah, I mean, it's a bump for everybody because, you know, Ted, I did a article on Teddy Bridgewater two years ago when people were wondering what the heck was going on with DJ Moore. And he's one of the, mo the most hesitant to pass the ball downfield. It's pretty clear statistically. Uh, on the flip side, Russell Wilson is a guy that can extend the play, find guys deep. So I like it for Corlin Sutton. He has a 15-yard dot. It could be interesting for KJ Hamler if he comes back healthy because he's the guy that pushes the field deep. And with Jerry Judy, it's kind of – I look back at – the rookie draft for that year where there was a real debate going CB lamb or Jerry Judy. It was a, it was a lot closer than it is now. It's a lot closer than people think about 
Now we get to see Jerry Judy with a legitimate quarterback, right? Because we get CeeDee Lamb with Dak Prescott. We get Jerry Judy with uh, Russell Wilson. Now we're going to get to see who really is the better of those guys. And I still have my money on CeeDee Lamb, but it'll be a little more definitive because you didn't really get to compare them apples to apples when it's Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater. So maybe that gap between those two guys closes a little bit and maybe Jerry Judy becomes a little bit more of a value in these drafts where obviously CeeDee Lamb is going uh, here. Let me check it real quick. He's going wide receiver eight at 20 overall and Jerry Judy isn't getting drafted until 77. His ADP is 77 yeah. after Adam Thielen and Brandon Ayuk. So, I mean, something to think about there. I mean, I, I'm not going to be someone that bets that Jerry Judy does better than CeeDee Lamb this season, but I mean, he likely is going to do better than he's done in the last two years. Yeah, I don't, that's too much to ask. I'm actually looking at this last seven day P. Let's see where we have. I got, so I have Judy as a wide receiver. Where did he just get it? He was wide receiver 28. Is that what you had him at? So my, what I'm looking at underdog right now, it doesn't have, it just has the overall ADP, which is 77. Okay, perfect. Yeah, no, so I have him as over the last seven days, he's wide receiver 28. That is between the likes of Michael Pittman and Amari Cooper. Okay, that's interesting. I mean, I'd still draft Amari Cooper ahead of him, but I mean, Amari Cooper's ADP is now going to also shoot up over the next seven days. So, but Pittman, that'll be interesting. Who would you rather have, Jerry Judy or Michael Pittman? Judy. Yeah. I and mean, we don't know who the quarterback you is. Don't know. And there's rumors the quarterback could be Baker Mayfield because his requested trade was to the Colts if they were to accommodate a deal for him. Yeah, I will say this right to get this out there that we talk about these knee injuries and stuff with running backs and how scary it is. Shoulder injuries with quarterbacks can be just as scary. I mean, we've seen guys go. Chad Pennington is the biggest example of a guy that he had everything. Great prospect, great mind. So he's one of the more accurate guys. That shoulder injury, he never recovered from that. He was never able to push the ball downfield. So with a guy who has a shoulder injury like this and the team is ready to move on that quickly from him, there are certainly red flags there. So wherever he goes, I'm going to, just out of the idea of risk, I'm going to discount the pass catchers wherever he goes. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Carson Wentz goes from the Colts to the Washington Commanders. That's how a lot of people kind of maybe mocking and making fun of this move. Carson Wentz has sort of gotten a bad rap over these last few years. I've been a semi-defender of Carson Wentz because that last year in Philadelphia, go watch film. I mean, I wrote an article on it about how bad that offensive line was for, for Philadelphia that year where you, there's legit tape of Wentz in shotgun and before he even really touches the ball, there's already guys in the backfield. That's how bad that offensive line was. And then he goes to the Colts where he started off really strong, but that offense... Who was he throwing the football to? He had Michael Pittman as his only legitimate receiver. Zach Pascal injured off and on. T.Y. Hilton injured off and on. His starting tight end was either Jack Doyle or Mo Alley-Cox. There was no real offensive talent to help Carson Wentz here in an offense that just wanted to run the ball 30 times anyways with Jonathan Taylor. So I think now he moves to a team in Washington that has upgraded skill position players. Terry McLaurin. Logan Thomas, when he comes back healthy. Curtis Samuel, if he can come back healthy. They have J.D. McKissick back. Antonio Gibson is a dual threat running back there. I think there's more offensive weapons around Carson Wentz to help him succeed in Washington than there was in Indianapolis for him. Yeah, I mean, and you and I are going against the grain a little bit on this one, which we're not scared to do. But I like the Carson Wentz move. You get a guy that was touted as... And the next guy, the next for a while there, he was there as like the next big play. And that he brought that team pretty much to the Super Bowl. He got hurt. Nick Foles won it. But uh, we've seen him do it. We know he has the physical skills and they get him for what? Two thirds. One could be 
come a second if he's the full-time starter. I mean, I think that if you find a quarterback that's your full-time starter, that's worth a second-round pick. You know what I mean? Teams, Deshaun Watson just went for five picks, and three of them were firsts. It's crazy out there in the quarterback market. So I like the move a lot, and I'm with you that a lot of these guys could benefit. I think the number one beneficiary, if things go the way according to plan, and he can get back in time for the start of the season, Logan Thomas lines up in the slot more than any other tight end in the league, which is exactly what Zach Ertz did. And Zach Ertz with Carson Wentz never finished lower than tight end six. He finished as high as tight end two. So for four straight seasons with Carson Wentz, he got hurt in the last one. Over those four years, he was never lower than tight end six. And we've seen Logan Thomas be tight end three overall. And we've seen him play 100% of the snaps in the slot. If he's healthy at the start of this season, I'm going to have Logan Thomas on a lot of leagues. Yeah, I'm with you there as well. I mean, we were already high on him anyways, just given the volume that he was receiving. But, you know, just the fact that now you add in a quarterback that likes to target the tight end, it it certainly helps there. Last guy I think we can really spend even just a little bit of time on, Mitch Trubisky, now expected to be the starting quarterback in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh not really looking great looking at their division now with Deshaun Watson, Joe Burrow, and Lamar Jackson in their division. But Trubisky is somebody that obviously got a bad rap potentially in Chicago. Me personally, I think Matt Nagy was as bad as a coach as we've seen Adam Gase be. We we often blame the struggles of players on Adam Gase. Well, I think Matt Nagy deserves a lot of that similar sort of blame as well. And you look at the record and some of the, the numbers for Trubisky like they weren't awful I know on field and box scores are two completely different things but now you give him time he sat behind Josh Allen in a competent offense with a good quarterback coach with a good offensive coordinator in a winning environment and he spent there a year and hopefully learned some things I still think there's plenty of arm talent there he's still young and now he's moving into a situation in Pittsburgh that again I think has good coaching has a good offensive coordinator has some good offensive players around him as well and they're improving their offensive line. So I'm not as, again, not as mocking of this pick of Mitch Trubisky than others are because I'm willing to give the kid another chance. So you're saying that Matt Nagy uh, probably got that coach of the year award a little uh, too early. Yeah, I, I think it was probably a little bit of an overreaction. <laughs> I mean, I watched this guy and maybe he was ahead of the curve here. Give carries the Corderell Patterson over the second round running back that he traded up for and David Montgomery during that rookie year into like mind numbing fashion, the way they, he used that offense. And even to the, even last year with Josh Fields or just Justin, Fields. Justin Fields, Josh yeah. Fields is the catcher for baseball. I confuse that all yeah. the time for Justin Fields. They didn't often utilize his skill set or craft an offense to his strengths. They kind of were going against what he fields did good more often than not. So I think he's a terrible coach. There's a reason why he got fired. I'm willing to give this kid another chance now that he's out of a bad system. Spend a year in a good system. Now he's in another sort of strong offense that just needed an offensive line, which they're working on improving. So, yeah, that's where I stand with Trubisky. Yeah, and I think bringing up Matt Matt Nagy with Adam Gase is a great comparison because you look at Adam Gase and he kind, he kind his claim to fame was the Broncos offense where he had Peyton Manning as a quarterback. And then he kind of coasted on that success to where he is now and, you know with Matt Nagy it's starting to look like there was a little bit of the same that the reality wasn't that the offense was everything it was that Patrick Mahomes is one of the best quarterbacks in the league and if not the best so I'm definitely willing to give Trubisky another shot with a different coach and a different offense they're working on the offensive line they obviously have weapons Deontay Johnson Chase Claypool Pat Fryermuth I don't know what it is about the Steelers and who their wide receiver coaches where they can just 
invent these wide receivers out of thin air going all the way back to like Antoine Randall L and they had Antonio Brown, Mike Wallace and Emmanuel Sanders on the same team. And they had to pick and they picked correctly to keep Antonio Brown and let Wallace and Emmanuel Sanders leave. It's like the Patriots can't buy a wide receiver. I mean, we draft Nikhil Harry in the first round yet. This team has them coming out of their ears over there. I don't know what the difference is. I don't know why I mean, Belichick can invent cornerbacks clearly out of, out of thin air, but he, he can't draft a wide receiver to save his life. So I, I want to know who over there is drafting the, uh, those wide receivers for the Steelers. Joe. Yeah, a, a good a good scout that they have there 100%. So that's the uh, the top quarterbacks that have moved. Obviously, guys, I mean, the number one guy is still available on free agency. Jameis Winston, we'll see where he ends up landing. Likely going to go, I would imagine, to a team where he could be a viable starting option after how he played last year. But he's coming off that torn ACL, so some questions going there. Cool, let's go to the running back position uh, Miami made some moves obviously they have the new uh, head coach there coming over from San Francisco uh, they signed Chase Edmonds right away gave him a bunch of money and then followed that pick by bringing Randy Mostert over from San Francisco and now adding four running backs to that backfield yeah I mean it's crazy and Mostert he knows the system there you and I talked about this off air but you made a great point which is follow the money right so you look at Chase Edmonds he signs for 12 mil uh, six six on average, two years, 12 mil, six mil guaranteed. Reem Mostert only signs for one year, and it's about $2 million. All of it's guaranteed, but, I mean, the reality of that is that Chase Edmonds is going to be your starting running back, and then Reem Mostert's going to be a guy that comes in to spell him or come in specific situations where there's going to be a lot of open field because we see they say that he's 200 pounds. I don't think he is. He's almost 30 years old. He gets hurt every single year, but, you know, when he is healthy, he is lightning in a bottle. This guy can score 70, 80-yard touchdowns. He had two of the fastest on-field speeds over the last two years. So I think he's kind of interesting in best ball at his ADP. But I'm coming around on the idea that Chase Edmonds was brought over to be the guy. Yeah, listen, I thought that he was a capable runner when asked to do so with Arizona last year. He led the, he led that backfield. It was kind of a 60-40 split with James Conner. Conner got a lot of the heavy work, though, and I think that's maybe where most are could maybe fit in. We'll see how they play that rollout. Gaskin can also be uh, their goal line guy, but Edmonds' biggest asset is his ability to catch the football. He thrived in that role with Arizona. He kind of filled that role with Arizona over the couple of years. Mostert, also a decent pass catcher, but like you mentioned, just the injuries. So, and the fact that they didn't give him a ton of money, I know they gave him a few, a couple million guaranteed, but Edmonds was their big guy. Edmonds was the big signing, and I think he has likelihood to be the starting running for that offense, but hopefully we'll get some more clarity on that situation as we come into training camp, because again, could get a couple drills out there. Mostert goes down, and now it's Edmonds and Gaskin the two guys and we move on so Miami situation certainly going to be a, a bit interesting given the new Mike McDaniel coming over from San Francisco and kind of bringing his guy we all weren't worried maybe a little bit about Tevin Coleman going to Robert Sala to New York bringing his guy knows the system didn't really matter Coleman again got hurt shocker and then we we had right. the running backs that were there so Ty Johnson and, and the rookie so I'm not really too worried I don't think about Mostert given his durability but he's been a home run hitter there McKissick as I mentioned returned to Washington after initially being announced he's going to bump again I'm not overly worried with how his biggest games came when they were trailing it's not as if he was really taking a ton of work away from Gibson when Gibson was healthy the problem was Gibson struggled to be healthy again he had the those shin splints that kept them off the field and they were really not they weren't really committing to their run earlier on but once they got out of the bye week Coop and we identified this during the podcast last year they came out of their bye and then they just started running the football like crazy and really utilizing Gibson there and he was a pretty strong play but McKissick going back to Washington I don't feel like I'm too worried about Gibson's value here I think it just locks up a reliable pass catcher for them in situations like the two-minute drill which I know you talk a lot about when it comes to McKissick's pass blocking 
Yeah, I mean, just to give a refresh on the pass blocking situation, the two-minute drill, and why it ends up being so important. The biggest example is actually from the Super Bowl. You look at the Bengals, and you see what Zach Taylor says about that game. He admitted himself that what happened there was they dressed Samaje P. Ryan in pass blocking. So they brought him into the game, and because it was a crunch situation, two-minute drill, they didn't really have time to do subs, and P. Ryan stayed in for that big carry didn't get it when Taylor admitted that he probably should have slowed the game down or, or called timeout and, and got mixed in there, but he didn't do it. But that was what, what was happening with J.D. McKissick last year, which is well, you look at the his early season, his first rushing touchdown of the season. It was a two-minute drill. He was the guy they trust in pass blocking. And Jonah Gibson ranked outside the top 150 the year prior in pass blocking. And he was on the field. And when you're doing those two-minute drills, you don't have time to send Jonah Gibson running 40 yards downfield to sub in and sub out McKissick. There's no time to do that. So he's the guy in the game. He stays in the game. That's my only concern for that. But I mean, I think in the third year, Antonio Gibson has probably shown enough that he should be a full-time back and McKissick is going back there to be the part-time back. The big loser here is obviously Buffalo because they thought they had this guy for two days. And then when Wednesday came around, it was time to officially sign. He was gone. During that, you know, you had a bunch of these guys, Raheem Mostert, James White, a lot of these guys that play that type of role, Brandon Bolden. They all signed. So now if they want that type of guy, they're going to have to go bargain hunt. Right? They have yeah, to I think they may address it in the draft, truthfully. And you and I have talked about this before. I'm a little bit more bullish on Devin Singletary than I think most are. The biggest issue with Buffalo running backs in the years past was like, well, they don't run the ball a ton. And when they get in, in the goal line situations, it's always Josh Allen that's scoring. But then you look what happened after that Tampa Bay game. Basically the second half of that game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers they almost changed some of their offensive style and they started using Devin Singletary a lot more and they use him in the passing because he is a pretty good pass catcher. And I know you've mentioned that his run blocking, his pass blocking number, uh, they go back and forth. He has good pass blocking days. He has bad pass blocking days, but they basically axed out Zach Moss. They used Matt Breida at times as a sort of that spell back, but they went heavy with Devin Singletary. And I actually really like Devin Singletary for this upcoming season as well as that lead running back. Taking McKissick out of the equation, I think probably helps him a little bit there as well. But given the running backs that are available, none of them really to me fit what whole Buffalo was looking to fill. So I could see them maybe going into the draft and in the fourth round or something like that, picking up a guy that could catch the football a little bit out of the backfield and sort of play that role for them. I think you're kind of underselling the usage change for Singletary towards the end of the year, no, man. Huge, huge. He went from, so over the, like at one stretch here, his carries were six, five, seven, six, seven, three. At the end of the season, he went 15, 10, four in one game. That was a blowout. They were losing to Tampa Bay. 22, 12, 23, 19. In the last six games, including the playoffs, he scored a touchdown in every single game, ended up with eight touchdowns. Actually, technically, he had nine because he had a receiving touchdown. So nine touchdowns in the last six games. I mean, this is a guy where you look at his numbers and his yards per carry have always been good. They've always been between 4.4 and 5. And it's just a matter of the vulture, the, the splitting with Zach Moss and the vulturing with Josh Allen. But I think they're realizing that they have a reliable player here. And you don't always need to put your quarterback in harm's way when it's in first and goal from the two. You might as well at least try with your running back before you send the guy on a naked bootleg to get banged up. Yeah. So I do like Singletary. I'm glad they didn't get McKissick. And like you said, 
trying to address these positions through the draft doesn't always pan out. We've seen a lot of, unless you go for a real high end running back, because we've seen teams think that they have a third down back. They draft him in the third round, which is pretty high draft capital. Shane and then they Vereen. Shane Vereen or Keyshawn Vaughn or Justice Hill. I mean, where's Justice Hill? You know what I mean? People thought he was going to be a problem because he was a good pass catcher. So I don't necessarily think them taking a pass catching back in the third round even moves the needle that much for Devin Singletary. I think he's a value right now at ADP. Yeah, yeah. And just going over the numbers, like I mentioned, that Buffalo game, they didn't run the football one time. Sorry, the Tampa Bay game. They didn't run the football one time in the first half. Zero running plays in the first half of that game. And they obviously lost. And then you look again, they were ahead. So it obviously was more conducive to running the football. But over the last four games, they averaged 19 carries a game for 80 yards. And you look how they started the season too. They started the season, Singletary, double digit carries for during that four game stretch, averaged 13 carries for 65 yards. So he is their lead back for whatever reason. They kind of lost themselves a bit during the middle of that year. They had that loss to Tennessee, that bad loss to Jacksonville. But I'm a big fan of what they have. And yeah, you're right. They don't need to spend early draft cap. To, to us, the Bengals sort of found that guy in Chris Evans in round, what, five or six last yeah, year? Yeah, I think right? it was six. Yeah, six yeah, round. so something like that could happen with Buffalo. And there's obviously some names that are still available in free agency. Uh, we can talk about that in a moment. But, you know, James White went back to New England. I'm not really as excited about that, uh, even though they did give him $2.5 guarantee coming back from a big hip injury. I just don't know what he's going to have left. I think he's more of a locker room guy. He's a veteran that can kind of fill the role for them for a little bit. But I'd certainly worry about some durability. I worry about his long-term health and if he's able to be the same player. But what James White is smart. He's heady. He can read defenses, which is something that I think Mac Jones could maybe have a benefit to having a guy like James White next to him in those plays and having an understanding of what's going on because he's been in the league for so long. He played next to Tom Brady for so long. That's sort of an undervalued asset, I think, when you're looking at James White. Physically, though, in terms of fantasy production, I don't think it's going to be there. Yeah, I think you're right. He's just more he's a more of a real life player than he is a fantasy asset right now. I mean, he's a guy that you can count on to catch a out route on third and three and have one catch or two catches a game. I mean, he's had a catch in every single game that they've played in, essentially, since the Raiders game in 2018. I was actually just looking at it the other day. Uh, but he's a guy that can come out, have a couple catches, but I don't think we're going to see him have an RB1 season like he did that one year uh, in like 2015 or 16, where he just caught a million passes and ended up scoring a bunch of touchdowns. He's just more, he's more, he's like a on-field coach at yeah, this point exactly you know? i was gonna say on-field coach is basically what he's like and, and honestly like i wonder maybe again a patriots fan so we're maybe a little bit closer to the situation than others jj taylor why isn't jj taylor taking on this role yet like many thought he was the guy when white went down and he was in the lineup he was out of the lineup in the lineup out of the lineup stevenson showed the ability to catch football a little bit devin ha damian harris showed the ability to catch football a little bit but those guys aren't true third down type backs it could just be the fact that jj taylor's smaller than i am he's five six so like, five, six, yeah, five six, one eighty five. So like when we say two hundred pounds is kind of the cutoff for being able to have a decent workload and be healthy, he's not even in the yeah. neighborhood. So I wonder what James White's value going to be. I think on field coach is a good idea. Hopefully I'm wrong though. The Patriots could certainly use a guy like him to help Mac Jones along. And then the other big name running back signing here. I guess we have one more. To, we have two more to talk about. James Connor resigned with Arizona. We talked on the Lightning Round podcast. In my opinion here, I like the sign. I hope they bring in somebody else though to kind of help with the workload because James Connor, when asked to be the lead back at Pittsburgh, broke down, but. I appreciate the fact that in short yardage situations and goal line situations, he got the job done. And I think Arizona is still going to be a team that scores a lot. So you get him in that red zone. I think there's still that high touchdown upside, but if we're going to ask James Connor to carry the ball 300 times, I don't think he plays 10 games. Yeah. I mean, that that's the thing with Connor is that he does break down and he really is 
a product of his environment. I mean, he had a great old line with Pittsburgh. Last year, he's just on this team that is consistently getting the ball in the red zone. And the year that he had reminded me a lot of the year that LeGarrette Blunt had with the Patriots, where he only caught like seven passes or whatever. And we know James Conner is a better pass catcher than Blunt is, but he scored 18 touchdowns. And that's what it was for James Conner is he scored 18 touchdowns. And I don't see why he can't do that again with this team. But James Conner in a vacuum isn't our particularly efficient player. So let's not go crazy with that. Over his last three seasons, I mean, we just talked about Devin Singletary. Devin Singletary's last three seasons, he's averaged... 4.6 yards per attempt, 4.4, and 5.1. So over five yards a carry in one year, and that's getting 150 carries at least in all those years. So he's getting legitimate real touches. His worst was 4.4. Over the last three years for James Conner, he's been 3.7, 4.3, and four yards a carry. I mean, last year on the Cardinals, 3.7 yards per carry, John. Is that good? No, it's not great. And again, we a little bit of a caveat to that. He was sort of their short yardage and goal line situation play. So oftentimes he only had three to four yards to go, but he also had a pretty decent amount of carry where he was running, especially when Edmonds was out. So I agree with you. He probably wasn't an over four yard per carry guy, but he also, a lot of his work was in the trenches in the short yardage situations. Yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, we talk about this with some of these guys. Even Kamara as a rookie had like six yards per carry, but that's because they had another guy doing the short yardage work. And when you score 18 touchdowns, a one-yard run from the one for a touchdown is a great football play, and it also goes on to your statistical uh, sheet as a one-yard carry. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you got it. That's why those stats, you can't just isolate them. But at the same time, I mean, this guy, in terms of efficiency, it's not just with Arizona. It was with Pittsburgh. He only averaged 50 yards a game. So not really a guy that's going to go out and drop a bunch of 150-yard rushing games, most likely. I don't even think they want him to do that, given his proclivity getting injured. So he's just more of a guy that's going to be the starter. I think he's going to be a value in best ball. But unlike, you think about Najee Harris and the amount of work that he can handle and what they're doing, that's a guy that could be the number one overall running back. I think that James Conner is a guy who, via touchdowns, could be an RB1, but he's never going to come out and be Todd Gurley. Yeah, I mean, it's not to say he couldn't. I just don't see it because I don't think he, he can hold up. If he proves me wrong and plays 17 games and is the lead back in a 70-30 share, then I think there's potential for that, but I just don't think it's going to happen. And I'm going to be curious to see who they bring in. One guy they're not going to bring in because he signed today, again, recording here on Saturday, Cordero Patterson returning to the Atlanta Falcons. That's a team that last year, Mike Davis, everybody was talking about the quads, Quadzilla, and uh, Quadzilla did nothing. Cordero Patterson broke in and stole the show. Pat on my back when I uh, previewed him as his three touchdown game uh, as my Impemba play of the week in the play. Him returning, I'm curious if he's able to have the same level of success teams sh should have caught on by now, right? Like what he is, how they use him. The offense is still terrible there. I don't know what's going to go on with Atlanta, but... Yeah, anybody who I think is looking at Corderell Patterson to be the guy that he was last year, you're taking some risk. And that's that speaks to what we were just talking about, because Mike Davis was the guy that had to do all the running full speed into the line on third and one. And it wasn't that good a line. So he looked really bad there. Meanwhile, Corderell Patterson is the guy that gets to do all the fun end arounds and draws and get all these plays in space. So uh, as far as efficiency goes, if he were the full time back. I mean, it would probably be a little better for him for fantasy, but his numbers as far as efficiency would come down. And he's also a 31-year-old guy that's not – he's not a running back. Or I guess now he's technically a running back, but he never was. He was a return man and a wide receiver, uh, arguably the best return man of all time. I don't think people really give him enough credit for that because 
in terms of guys that over average over 30 yards per return, there's only two. It's Coral Patterson and Gale Sayers. Gale Sayers, he's pretty good. He's decent, yes. <laughs> yeah, so he's interesting. I mean, he's going to fall on that. They'll, like Guys like James Conner and Cordero Patterson, they fall on that group of guys where I don't think they're capable of being the number one running back. I think they have a tough road to be a top five running back. So I can't draft them until I've drafted every guy that I believe is capable of being the best running back in the league. So they can't go for me ahead of guys like Kamara, Swift, Chubb, even Barkley, Cam Akers, Antonio Gibson, Aaron Jones. I mean, are you taking either of those guys over any of those guys I just named? No. You can't. And that's the thing is that those guys we mentioned, like they have real upside to be the top running back in the league. I mean, even guys like Zeke, Travis, Etienne, I mean, like there's enough there that you can create that narrative. I just can't create a narrative for those at Cordero Patterson's and the James Connors to to put them up into that group. Now, of these last available guys, we're looking at people that are available in free agency. There are some names out there. Leonard Fournette, Melvin Gordon, Sonny Michelle, Rashad Penny, Marlon Mack. Any of those guys to you, John? Which ones do you like best out of that group? Melvin Gordon, I think, again, I, he did nothing to really lose his job in Denver last year. He averaged, what was it, four and a half yards a carry. He had a touchdown. I think he ran for like 900 yards. He showed the capability of also still catching the football when asked to. Pass blocking, you'll have those numbers for me. I'm pretty sure he was a decent pass blocker for them as well. At least it seemed like he was because he was on the field in those situations over the rookie. Maybe it's just better than what they had or an interpretation of the player there. But if he's available, I don't see why a team wouldn't want to go ahead and add him to their stable of running backs and potentially even be a lead running back. I personally thought he would have been a great fit in Miami. I thought Miami would have been a great landing spot for him. He can do some of the power running that Gaskin took over. He's a little bit more explosive than Gaskin for me. If they brought in Chase Edmonds and Melvin Gordon, like that would have been a great duo. They could have re-replicated the James Conner-Chase Edmonds tandem in, in that they had over in Arizona. And we know that the 49ers like to use multiple running backs. It's just been the system that they've had. So I thought Gordon would have been a good fit in Miami there, but he's still available. So I'd be curious to see where he lands. Yeah, I'm in on Melvin Gordon. I'm also in on Leonard Fournette. Leonard Fournette is a guy that I look at and I say... I personally uh, think he goes back to Tampa, not to disrupt you, but I think that's what I mean, that would be great. That, Tampa's probably the best landing spot. If Melvin Gordon went to Tampa, I would be pumped for Melvin Gordon. Whoever goes to Tampa, I'm going to be excited about. You know what I mean? Now that Tom be, Brady's back in the fold, players will want to go there. Exactly. exactly. You know, whoever gets that job, Ronald Jones, if he's a guy, I'm in. But Leonard Fournette is a guy that, when you look at it, he's always been good. He's had attitude issues where he got suspended... He got arrested for having a legal tint on his car like seven times to the point where they had to actually bring him to jail for like the third time where he didn't pay his illegal tint speeding tickets and they actually suspended his license and then they brought him to jail. So that is that's a character issue. That's character issues. Driving Mike Tomlin crazy and punch throwing punches. And that's been the kind of thing that holds him back. It makes you not want to utilize this guy, not want to lean into this guy. But I think there's a real chance that he could be our generation's Marshawn Lynch. People forget that Marshawn Lynch early in his career had character issues. He had the DUI, he had the gun in his car. He had a very shady incident where there was a woman in Buffalo who was hit by a car and it was reportedly Marshawn Lynch. And then that was all settled quietly. Like he had a lot of things that made people not like him. And then he, he matured, turned it around. Everyone loves him. He had monster seasons. I think Leonard Fournette could be that guy where if he matures and figures it out, he's always been good and he could land somewhere and be very good. 
Yeah, I agree with you. And again, winning solves a lot of character problems. For some, maybe not yeah. Antonio Brown. It, it held up for as long as it could be. Eventually, he broke down there. Let's go on over to the wide receiver position where Michael Gallup obviously re-signs with Dallas. Kind of a good name. Good signing for them. Mari Cooper, we know, traded to Cleveland. Good pickup for Cleveland there. Julio Jones released from Tennessee after an injury-plagued uh, season with them. The rest of the group that signed, though, and I guess maybe we'll, we can structure this a little bit differently. Allen Robinson and Juju to be at the top two talented players that signed. Robinson going to the Rams, replacing OBJ, who tore his ACL. Robert Woods tore his ACL. Allen Robinson getting $30 million guaranteed, basically guaranteeing him as the wide receiver two in that offense. I think there's certainly some upside there. And then, then Juju signed on Friday to the Chiefs for $10 million one year. A similar signing that we saw DJ Chark sign with Detroit. One year, $10 million, two guys kind of betting on themselves. Yeah, I mean, you don't think that the big news is Byron Pringle signing with the Bears? No, not necessarily. I mean, I know Devontae Adams being traded. I figured we could talk about that as its own sort of structure. But in terms of guys that were, were signed, I know Byron Pringle doesn't really tip the list, but he might be a better signing than Cedric Wilson to Miami. <laughs> yeah, I hate that deal. I hate that signing mostly because just to get, we'll do Cedric Wilson and get that done with. I, I just hate it because I want Mike Isecki playing slot every snap. I want Devontae Parker on one side, and I want Jalen Waddle on the other side, and I want Mike Gusecki in the slot. I don't want them paying Cedric Wilson $12 million guaranteed and having him come in and basically half – now he has to play. He doesn't have to be a full-time guy. But every time you put him in the slot, it might move Gusecki in line. Mike McDaniels comes over from San Francisco where the name of the game is inline tight end who blocks and then sneaks out and makes plays – I don't want that. I want a guy that's playing wide receiver every snap. So I just don't love it that Cedric Wilson signing. Obviously, no, I'm not interested in Cedric Wilson for fantasy football. And I just wish you that didn't happen. So that's that my Cedric Wilson take. Yeah, that's fine. So again, I don't really love a lot of these moves. I mean, Jacksonville paid Christian Kirk a boatload of money, $37 million. They also paid Zay Jones $15 million guaranteed to go there. Those guys, like Christian Kirk was good last year, but he was good because... They didn't, Hopkins was hurt for a lot of the year. AJ Green was AJ Green. Uh, Moore didn't really, Rondell Moore didn't really come through for them. He was just the number one receiver by default there in, Jack, in Arizona. And sure, maybe that's what happens in Jacksonville. He goes to Jacksonville. They paid him $37 million. They have a new head coach and Doug Peterson bringing in a new offense. He was there off. He was their first choice at receiver. They paid him all the money to come there. Maybe he's now the one number one receiver there, but to me, he's never a guy that I like felt popped. So I think he's a success via circumstance here. So is he just going to be what Corey Davis was to the Jets this year before we broke down? Just like the number one receiver on a bad team? I don't know. I'm very skeptical when it comes to Christian Kirk here. Yeah, it's strange because it's like you look at a guy like Robert Woods who wasn't doing well with one team and then he they kind of stole him. And then he blew up. It's almost like the Jaguars are trying to do that with a guy like Christian Kirk, who has never had a thousand yard season. He's never been in the Pro Bowl. They're trying to do that. But instead of stealing him, they threw the brink truck at him. So that, that's a very interesting situation. But at the same time, like if you're a dynasty gamer and you have Christian Kirk, you don't really care as much about him being overpaid as him. Now he gets a full opportunity. They have to get him the ball. He gets to play with Trevor Lawrence. So you do like him. It makes you nervous that they're going to, that it's going to have a negative outcome when people are like, this guy isn't a megastar and get a megastar contract. But at the same time, you got to be happy that they look at him that way because it means that they're going to at least be feeding him the football. I think there's a couple, you already mentioned Juju and Shark. Those two are similar in the sense that like you said, prove it deals, one-year deals. I like that for fantasy football because they 
are not going to be coasting on their contract. They want the ball every single play. They want to put up the big stats. They want to make the Pro Bowl. They want to be all pro. And then next year, they can get as much of that Amazon money as they can with the new TV deals coming in and the cap going up. So I like those guys in that situation because they they are going to be the squeaky wheel guy. They're, this is their tryout for a big contract. On the flip side, a couple guys are – two other guys that are in a similar situation that worries me a little bit are Allen Robinson and Russell Gage in that, yes, they get to step in while another receiver on the team recovers from injury. Right, Allen Robinson is going to step in while Robert Woods is out and he'll get his foot in the door and he'll really establish himself there, hopefully. Russell Gage will do the same with Chris Godwin being out. My question is, what happens when you lean on those guys in fantasy all year and then at the most important part of the season, fantasy football playoffs, the other wide receiver comes back and targets smooth out a bit? That's a, To me, that's at least a little bit concerning, John. I don't know if you even think about that kind of thing or worry about that kind of thing, but for me it does have concern that you're setting yourself up to be a really good team in the early part of your fantasy season. And then when it matters most, you could uh, hit a little bump in the road. Yeah, I think that's fair. Let me ask you when it comes to the Chark and, and Juju situations, would you rather have the team with the better quarterback or the, the player with the better quarterback or the player with the better opportunity? I think personally, if this were, yeah, it's kind of tough with Chark versus Juju because they're such different players, but I think that Chark has the higher ceiling for sure because of the player he is. Where He has the lowest floor, though, because of what you just mentioned with the quarterback situation. But he plays outside. They don't really have another huge target hog. No, and he has a higher depth of target type situation. I mean, Juju caught – I got to pull it up real quick because it's like Juju with Big Ben had the fastest release of any quarterback in the league. And Juju caught 97 balls. He How many – off the top of your try and guess how many yards he had catching 97 passes. 750. Pretty close. 831. He caught almost 100 passes. Didn't crack. Not only didn't crack 1,000 yards, didn't crack 900 yards. But didn't was crack. that more because Big Ben couldn't throw it more than five yards down the field? I mean, it's likely a combination of the two, in my opinion. We'll have to see what the role is going to be for Juju. I'm sure he's not going to have eight. Like the last two seasons, back-to-back, he's at 8.6 yards per reception. And that's mostly coming out of the slot. I think it's going to be higher than that. It's just a matter of, does he get more targets than Tyreek Hill? Does he get more targets than Travis Kelsey? It could just smooth it out a little I bit. I think he gets more targets than Nicole Hartman. I, no question. Nicole Hartman last year had 83 targets, 60, 59 catches for almost 700 yards. I guess to your point, which you made unintentionally, I think, was that Juju's like a pure slot guy, and, and Tyreek played a lot of slot last year. What does that do for... You know, how they set up their offense now. Do they bump Tyreek to the outside? Do they bump Juju to the outside? What are what's the usage there now when it comes I, to that offense, you think? I mean, I'm really I'm just really surprised that they didn't go after a split end because you have Travis Kelsey plays every snap and he's got his foot tethered to the line. If you bring in Juju, you have Juju and Tyreek, neither of those guys really play that split end role. You can use Tyreek what they do to get around it sometimes is they'll have Tyreek tether his foot to the ground on plays where he's running deep. Then you can't jam him because if he gets by you, you're dead. You know what I mean? Um, they do use him as like a field stretcher type role. But you're right, John. If Juju becomes the flanker slot guy, that actually might hurt Tyreek a little bit because he needs to assume that split end role where you're susceptible to the jam and play more of a field stretcher type situation. And just in general, if you have a guy like Juju soaking up targets underneath, that's less of those Tyreek down there somewhere, deep ball, 
chuck up. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Player profiler shows Tyreek with 37% of his snaps out of the slot. But Miko Hartman was actually a little bit more. Miko Hartman played 43% of his snaps out of the slot. So, you know, I guess there would be a role there for Juju if they do bump Hardman out of that spot. So that's some of the other uh, receivers. Anybody else interesting to you here? Russell Gage goes to Tampa Bay. Anything else for you? Not really. I mean, Zay Jones, he got a decent amount of money, but apparently the Jaguars just throwing money around. So not really super interesting. Yeah, Marvin there. Jones is still there. LaVisca Chenault, whatever that is, has the potential maybe to do something. Maybe who knows? Probably not. But Zay Jones <laughs> played out of the slot when he was with, when he was with the Raiders last year. That's where a lot of his success came out of. They also paid a bunch of money to another slot receiver in Christian Kirk. LaVisca Chenault's most success came out of the slot. Like Evan Ingram, who they signed, you liked out of the slot. So like, where, where are they going with this offense? Yeah, it's crazy. Four, four slot guys. It's, it is nuts. They really don't have, they didn't replace DJ Chark with another, DJ Chark is 6'4". He, that's why the Lions is a perfect fit because you have Amon Ross St. Brown to do his slot stuff, his flanker stuff. And now you have a legitimate split end in, in DJ Chark. I mean, the Jaguars aren't really thinking about that type of, I mean, in those important parts of the offense. I mean, the basic rules going back to when you play Pee Wee football is you have to have seven guys tethered to the line of scrimmage. That means one of these dudes needs to line up and face the jam. Marvin Jones, that 32, Christian Kirk at his size. I mean, one of those guys could be in for some rough sledding when they face real physical corners. Yeah. So it's definitely some concern. Now of these last guys, you know, the free agent available, we got like Odell, Antonio Brown, you mentioned Julio got released. You mentioned Jarvis Landry got, got released. Will Fuller, who is like the wild card that Will Fuller is now that we haven't seen him since he basically got suspended for doing steroids where he had a big year and that he didn't play all last year. His finger was apparently the broken bone to his finger was uh, has been described as like an insane spiral fracture where it was just like mush. So he didn't play all year. I mean, then you have like Lesser guys, Jameson Crowder, Marcus Valdez-Scantling, A.J. Green. I mean, any of those guys really pop. Any of those guys uh, could be go to a team and be the de facto number one or a game, real game changer. I mean, any of them who go to Green Bay. Well, yeah. Green Bay has to do something at wide receiver now. So, Bell Beckham Jr. Well, with Aaron Rodgers. I don't think Odell's going to come back in time towards ACL in the Super Bowl. So he's not going to be back, I don't think, before he'll be ready well, to they, go. They signed Rod. Maybe Rodgers is a – they signed him to a four-year deal. This is a long yeah, this is a long I mean, maybe OBJ <laughs> off a of 20 ACL. I, I, I mean, listen, if you're throwing darts, I think you take a look at Will Fuller. I think Jamison Crowder is a good ad. But, you know, I know they have Alan Lazard that they brought back. But I think Crowder – what did we talk about last year? We all – Crowder feels 38 years old, mm. but he's not. He's young. He's been. Just feels like he's been in the league forever. He's been around, yeah. He's you not know? even. He's uh. He's 28. Yeah, he's, and he doesn't even turn 29 until the summer. That's what I'm saying. So like Crowder's give Jameson Crowder Aaron Rodgers the best quarterback he's ever had. I have mild. I have some more than mild interest in Jameson Crowder. They're filling a role, but I think Will Fuller's a home run hitter for that team. He proved he could be a number one wide receiver when he's on steroids. So maybe if he uh, takes some undetectable substances and goes to Green Bay, he and Aaron Rodgers can hook up. I think MVS makes the most sense to go back there because he proved capable of being a really good receiver um, towards the end of last year at time and kind of broke out of that mold, finally got some trust there with Aaron Rodgers, but they need a receiver. They're going to, I was looking at some mock drafts that got updated and every mock draft basically now has the Green Bay Packers taking a wide receiver in the first round because there's just... What are they going to do? They have nobody on that team. So I want to see them assemble. I want to see the Packers assemble the all crazy team. You have Aaron Rodgers who had his stuff going on there. And then your wide receivers are Odell Beckham Jr., Antonio Brown, and Cole Beasley. 
and just go full on circus mode. Make it happen. And Rogers is in that same mold too. He, That's just, what I mean. It'd be as, great. Just as weird as them. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, there's there any one of those guys to go to the team. I think it's fine. They could probably get Julio Jones and like veteran minimum at this point and just be like, hey, Julio, here's five million on a year. See if you can stay healthy and what you got with Aaron Rodgers for your chance to earn your next contract or something like that. So Landry, of course, would be a great fit. Any of those guys when you give Aaron Rodgers. So, but someone is going there and they're going to be probably the top receiver. So that's, that's kind of my thoughts there. Cool. We'll wrap it up. Let's talk about your number one position here. The tight end spot. You briefly touched on Evan Ingram going to Jacksonville one year, 9 million, maybe not the landing spot you had hoped for, but you know, he's going to get an opportunity here with a young team. Yeah, I mean, and with this one-year $9 million for Evan Ingram and a lot of the other deals we're signing, it kind of proves that the franchise tag is stupid, in my opinion, that a lot of people hate it in general. But you look at the Evan Ingram getting one-year $9 million. No one else got more than $9 million. All these these tight ends got franchise tagged for the tag number, which is $10 million. So all these teams just looked at it and said, across the league, tight ends are severely underpaid. So we'll just tag every tight end. Mike Gusecki, Dalton Schultz. There was another one that I'm forgetting right now, but it's just they were like, why pay a free agent Evan Ingram $9 million when we just keep Gusecki or Schultz or whoever for $10 million? So it, it makes all the sense in the world that teams are going to do that, and I think that's kind of bad for the sport. It's, I, I don't like it. I don't like the franchise tag. You look at, and not to rant too much on the franchise tag, but you look at a guy like, let's say, Najee Harris, right? He's already 24 years old. So if he plays, and he's a first round pick, so if he plays his four year contract, then they pick up the fifth year option and then they franchise tag him, which is literally what happened to Mike Williams from the Chargers, or actually they extended him, they did give him a deal. But I mean, Najee Harris might not even see his, his first free agent contract until he's 28 years old. And when you're a 28 year old running back, they're trying to send you the glue factory. All right? you know, I think that, that whole system is kind of foolish. It should be four year contracts and then you get to be a free agent. So, but enough ranting on that. Evan Ingram to the Jaguars. It's not the best landing spot. It's not the worst. I like the idea that he gets to go somewhere and compete to be a top target on the team or a top two target on the team. I don't, those other guys are, you can just say, hey, that's them, slot him in. But at the same time, I want him to go somewhere where he's going to play slot wide receiver. I mean, they just signed, you You just mentioned, they signed like four of them. So, I mean, hell, maybe they plan to use him at split end. He's built like that, those guys, he's 6'3", 234, which, you know, guys like Andre Johnson and Demarius Thomas were built the same way. There's a lot of guys in the league built that way, so maybe they will use him like that, but I'm still interested in Evan Ingram. I think he has the skills. I think it's good to get see a change of scenery for him. I would have liked him to go to the Packers. That would have been an amazing spot. We'll go play with Justin Herbert, but I'm not off him because of this landing spot. I think it's a good spot for him. Yeah, other receivers, sorry, other tight ends that signed, the Jets picked up two, but... I want to get your take on which one has more fantasy value. Jay Uzoma coming from Cincinnati, obviously was buried behind Tyler Boyd and Jamar Chase and T Higgins. And then Tyler Conklin, who you were trying to tell everybody and their brother last year, like Tyler Conklin isn't the next coming here in Minnesota uh, as the receiving tight end. Both of them now go to the Jets. They gave a lot more money to CJ Uzoma though. Yeah, I mean, Tyler Conklin, there is not a single tight end in the league that blocked on more pass plays last year than Tyler Conklin. He blocked on over 100 pass plays. That means they were going to throw the ball 100 times and said, no, you stay in and be part of the line. That's why I don't like a guy like that. And if he can't be the guy when Adam Thielen gets hurt and they just have Justin Jefferson, I don't see why Tyler Conklin would all of a sudden be the guy somewhere else. So I think it's pretty clear what they're doing. 
Conklin's coming in as the blocking tight end, and that's what he is. And C.J. Uzoma is going to be more of a pass-catching tight end. So I'm much more interested in Uzoma. I think that there's a path to targets there. Conklin, I like for what we talked about with Michael Carter, where, you know, George Fant, Mackay Becton, Lakin Tomlinson, and Elijah Vera Tucker, and Tyler Conklin. I mean, if Zach Wilson can just be okay, I think Michael Carter is a huge value. So I do like Conklin for that. I don't like him for fantasy. I think he's dust. I think if you can trade him for anything in fantasy football in Dynasty Leagues, you go and do that right now. Yeah, I like that. Austin Hooper signing with the Titans. They looked for somebody to potentially replace Johnny Smith. They gave our boy Anthony Ferkser somewhat of an opportunity to do it last year. It didn't obviously come through. <laughs> what are your hopes with Austin Hooper here? He unfortunately goes to an offense that also likes to run the football a ton like he just came from with the Browns. Yeah, I think what happened with Berkshire is that we hope he would go into the full-time role, but he kind of maintains his slot role. And they used Jeff Swaim in the Johnny Smith role. I think Austin Hooper comes in and he plays a full as a full-time tight end in this offense. And with Julio Jones gone, I, there's mild interest there. You don't draft him as your number one tight end, but in league, in things like underdog, where you have to draft at least a couple tight ends, best ball leagues, or dynasty where you can get him for cheap, or even a regular league where if you're waiting on tight end, you draft one really good tight end, and then maybe sneak Austin Hooper as your second one just to see what he looks like. Because, I mean, we have seen this guy in a high-powered offense finish as the tight end six. I mean, he was the highest-paid tight end, which proved to be a bit of a mistake, but it also could be that Baker Mayfield isn't that good. So. Yeah. Yeah, Baker Mayfield isn't <laughs> that good. Okay, yeah. Baker, okay, Baker Mayfield sucks. So Austin Hooper, he kind of – he. I still could see a little bit of upside for him. I just, you, you feel for the guy because he's kind of the big loser here that he had to play with Baker Mayfield gets cut right before they bring in Deshaun Watson. Kind of rough for him there. Yeah. Of this other crew, I'll round out the guys sure. that are left here. OJ Howard to Buffalo. He's going to be a blocking tight end alongside Dawson Knox. I think the big winner of that move is Gabriel Davis. Because if you're going to go with, if they're going to be a team that uses 12 personnel as their primary offense, which a lot of teams do it. The Patriots do it. The Browns did it. The the Colts did it. Like if they're going to do that, then you have two tight ends on the field and two wide receivers. If those wide receivers are Stephon Diggs and Gabriel Davis, and it's Dawson Knox and OJ Howard, Knox and Howard are not going to be soaking up a large number of targets. So Gabriel, if they don't bring in another wide receiver, Gabriel Davis can is you, the big can winner. Can you tell me why OJ Howard can't be that guy? I mean, again, I know it's unfair to always look at measurables, 66250 ran a 4540. I think it might be a ment I think it might be a mental thing. Like he definitely had some issues with the he had issues with the former offense and then he had big issues with Bruce Arians in terms of Arians didn't like him. Put him in the doghouse. It could just be that he's if not a cerebral player. And some of these guys are physically monsters and it just turns out that they're not that great in terms of the game. I mean, Jerk McKinnon had the best combine I think anyone's ever had by running back the same combine. So sometimes it just goes, that's just the way it goes. So, but who knows, you know what I mean? Maybe, I mean, that's the crazy part is that they've never had another tight end like this next to Dawson Knox. He could come in and be next to Dawson Knox and they still say, Hey, you know what, Dawson, I'm sorry, but like this guy is just a monster. He's just better than you. And then he becomes the guy but that that is possible that Dawson Knox isn't that good. And Josh Allen is just really, really good. You know? So it's definitely a concern for Dawson Knox, but for Gabriel Davis, as it stands, it's great. Sure. Now, the scary part, it, it, now it's become very scary, is that if they do bring in a wide receiver that's better than him, say they they bring in Antonio Brown, now you have a team that has two tight ends. And that means Gabriel Davis is guaranteed to play a limited snap share. And that's why guys like Gabriel Davis are so risky. Sure. Yeah. 
Uh, but beyond that, oh, sorry. No, you saying, you yeah, I was going to say, beyond that, yeah, Ricky Seals-Jones goes to the Giants to potentially replace Evan Ingram, but he's not he's not nearly the athletic player that Evan Ingram is. I mean, as much size-wise, it's fine. But we've seen, it. We've seen the Ricky Seals-Jones experience. He's okay. Don't necessarily buy into him being a top 10 tight end. Maybe he can get a fringe top 12 if that offense goes, but he also needs to stay healthy, which is something that he tends to struggle with as well. Yeah, I think Ricky Seals Jones here is a team saying, hey, we paid for all these other weapons. We have Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard, Gadarius Tony. We weren't really throwing it to Evan Ingram that much, so we don't need to pay an Evan Ingram. Let's just pay somebody and give him that kind of work, the, the limited workload, and we'll be fine. So I think that's what Ricky Seals Jones is at this point. They bring in a guy to a role they weren't even utilizing before to continue not really utilizing it. So not super excited for Ricky Seals Jones. I mean, good for him if he's I actually haven't seen what he's gotten paid. I've been trying to find it. It hasn't come out yet, but. You know, a guy like O.J. Howard only got $3.5 million. If Ricky Joseos Jones got like 2 or $3 million, then you can't really hang your hat on that type of player because you know, he could have gone to any other team, really, at that price. Any team. Yeah, so that's where I got him. And then Hayden Hurst, you mentioned the Cincinnati. Two, obviously, he's not going to make an impact in the passing game, but you think blocking is where mm-hmm. he's, he's most useful. Yep, 100%. I mean, they just have too many weapons. So, but I think that's great for that offensive line, and it's great for Joe Mixon. So yeah, that's where I'm at with Hurst. Not super excited for fantasy, but there's only it's most teams are 12 team leagues. There's 32 teams in the NFL. So not every starting tight end is going to be even close to fantasy relevant. Yeah, I agree with you there. So that wraps it up. That takes a look at everything from, uh, that's happened so far in the NFL offseason. Obviously, we have a bunch of content still coming out. Coop's doing the free agent tracker, which is constantly being updated. The NFL drafts in April. We're going to have a whole bunch of NFL draft content coming out as well. Dynasty content coming out as well right now. So be on the lookout for all of that. And of course, Coop and I will be back next week with as we continue this podcast series throughout the year. It's been great to be back. And you know, football doesn't ever really end Coops, uh, always plenty to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And I, before we go, I just want to say to to people out there with this podcast, we're going to do as we're going to continuously drop the names and the people that we think are values on like best ball tens and underdog. I mean, like we talked about Devin Singletary, who right now our underdog is running back 24, right? Running back 24. We talked about Michael Carter, who I'm trying to find where he is on here, but he's not within the top. Yeah, I mean, so we're talking about all we're talking about all these names. Go out there, yeah. Michael Carter running back twenty three, so twenty three and twenty four. I'm not a zero RB guy, but if I'm in the first few rounds and I get one rock solid running back, and I know that I can get guys like Michael Carter and Devin Singletary at twenty three, twenty four, then maybe I will load up some wide receivers. And I'm using these underdogs at mock essentially dra- mock drafts. Draft, yeah, mock drafts. Yeah, so we do a dollar, five dollar. I ought to be throwing them out on Twitter. So do yourself a favor, grab an underdog account. We actually have a promo code right now. It's alarm. If you use promo code alarm, they'll match up to a hundred dollars. So if you put a hundred dollars on there, they'll give you a hundred dollars to use, which is kind of crazy uh, for an app like that. And I'll be throwing them out on Twitter. I'm going to start doing them next week where I'm just trying to get these underdog leagues going dollar, maybe $5 leagues. And I want sharp people in there. Because, you know, I'm trying to win the big underdogs where you can win a million dollars. If you just draft a solid basketball team, you could win literally a million dollars, hundred thousand dollars. I'm trying to do some with people that I know that I trust so that I can see what a real draft looks like so I can stay sharp. So keep an eye out that for Twitter. I'm going to send out some links and we're going to do some of these and make sure you get signed up in advance so that you're ready to rock and roll. Yeah, 100%. And just a little bit further on the ADP stuff. I'm like, we do stuff on BB10s as well. Over the past week, Devin Singletary is going in round nine, pick 203. 
So if you're just, again, if you're just looking at 12-team 12 team league, that's where Singletary is going. Michael Carter is going around seven, pick 193, so a little bit ahead of him. So again, now is the time like we talk about. You drafting best balls early, you get better ADPs. As things develop, you see guys move up the rankings, and then value kind of goes away. So that's what we're looking at again, and we'll have links across the site as well and for all different partners that we have out there for best ball drafts. And we have a bunch of more content to come through. But for now, Kuba, it's been a great first episode of the new quick out podcast here for fantasy alarm fantasy football good talking to you and guys we'll talk to you all next week